All right. We are uh, finished with First Timothy, and today we're going to. Uh, this past week, as I was planning on going right into Second Timothy, which we, I think, we're going to do that uh, here in a couple of weeks. But this week, as I was uh, meeting with uh, one of our members uh, who is preparing a message, actually, he's preaching today uh, in another church. Uh, as we're going through the the text, uh, I really felt the Lord leading and prayed through it, and I'm confident that the next couple of Sundays at least, we're going to start something that I'm going to do on a regular basis, and that is remind us of the the distinctives of our church. Uh, I, I never thought through this until this past week, but most of you are not... Uh, in the in the place where you're hearing me talk about our distinctives, but like in class this semester, I'm teaching the abiding cycle in uh, in actually two classes uh, using that book and that concept. So I'm going through it chapter at a time and really digesting that for for my students. But I forget that I'm not talking to you about that. <laughs> you know, we're not we're not mentioning it. We're talking about it here. And some of you I have met with recently. With some some. Uh, just went through new member training, uh, and in new member training, we talk about the abiding cycle. But I really have been thinking about again vision about uh, the Lord has been leading my mind to remember and think about uh, structure and organization and what what our church and helping our church to get on board with where we are and what we're doing. And two years ago when we started the gathering place, we went through the abiding cycle step-by-step, uh, step, which we're not going to do today. But uh, uh, we went through the abiding cycle and we went through uh, our other distinctives, our, our mission, our uh, motivation, our message, our methodology, our, our multiplication, and uh, our ministry. And we talked about those six M's and what that means for us as a body. But the Lord's just convicted me that we need to keep that in front of ourselves. That's, that's one of the things we need to be talking about on a regular basis. This, this is the word that God has for our body. It's the direction for our body. And so uh, I, I believe the Lord is leading me to do this periodically throughout the year. I don't know how many times it will happen. Uh, but we will do different messages that deal with different aspects of our, of our, um, our mission and our goal and our ministry as a church. So today we're going to do that. We're going to do the next couple of Sundays. We're going to talk about uh, abiding. And we're going to use the story of Peter and his call. Now some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about you haven't heard before because I haven't heard until this week. And I'm excited how God has been uh, unfolding the text uh, for me. And even when we go through the abiding cycle in the book, we don't, we don't tear this, these stories apart. So we're not just going to do the abiding cycle. We're going to talk about uh, Peter and Peter's call uh, today and talk about the, the truths or the, the principles that come out of his call that, that make it clear that abiding is what we need to be doing. And when we talk about abiding, I hope you understand what that means, but if you don't, uh, basically the abiding, uh, abiding according to John chapter 15 is, is obedience to the commands of Christ. Simple, simple enough, that's it. He talks about abiding John does in John chapter 15 he teaches the disciples this this teaching uh, in the last moments of his life which adds some significance to that teaching 
Uh, it's John who's teaching it. He's the only gospel that uses the term abiding, and that's significant because uh, John was the last gospel written. Yet John, according to most scholars, had uh, the other three gospels at his disposal, so he's able to read that and say, okay, there's some major thought here that God's, that I feel the Holy Spirit's leading me also to put out there that hasn't been put out. And so the abiding is that. Uh, also, John was the beloved disciple. He shared this intimacy with God that uh, seemed to be uh, different and more intimate than the other disciples did. I don't know why. It just seems to be that way. Jesus, uh, he's at Jesus' right hand at the, or leaning against Jesus' breast anyway at the Last Supper. He's also the one that Jesus looks down from the cross and says, Mom, here's your new son. Son, there's your new mother. And he gives John responsibility for his mother. And so uh, John's take on what it means to walk with God and have a relationship with God is significant. But anyway, in those moments, after of those last moments of Jesus' time with the disciples, he says this. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so in that passage, it's clear that Jesus is saying, our role as disciples is to do one thing. It's to abide. Our role is not to produce fruit. Who, does, who produces fruit? I mean, we hold the fruit, right? It comes out on, our, on us as branches, but where does the fruit come from? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It has to, we have to stay connected to the vine. That simple illustration that he gives, that parable of a, a branch staying connected to a tree in order to produce fruit is what he uses here. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, uh, John defines that in the gospel and also in his epistles as one thing. It's keeping his commandments. It's that simple. Uh, it comes from the heart, though. It's a heart that desires and, uh, to and obeys God. It's God working in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It's God's will being worked out through us. So the, the sap that runs through uh, the the uh, branches that comes from the trunk of Christ is the will of God, and so he he in order for us to obey His will, we need to obey. We need to understand what it is. So in everyday life, all we're doing is we're trying to find out what is the will of God. That's the role of a disciple. God, just tell me Your will, show me Your will, and I'm going to obey what You say. And then once we've done that, we have we have abided in Christ. All right, that has happened. We're done. Understanding the will of God and doing what he says. Now, there's a, an effect that happens. As soon as we obey, God does God-exclusive activity. That is, God does what only God can do. Uh, so God kills Goliath. God brings fire down from heaven for Elijah and consumes the sacrifice. God parts the Red Sea. Uh, God feeds uh, Israel manna from heaven and gives them water out of a rock. God does when we obey what he says. And so we get to see God, and we get to know God ultimately through what he does. When God does those things, they, the, the, the Israelites, or at least Moses and the, the, the people that were praying to God and asking God what to do, they get to know God through that experience. And that's us, progressively knowing God. Our mission is based on that. Our motivation is based on that. It's a progressive knowledge of God. Uh, our love for others, which is summarized as all the, all the commandments of God, our ability to love others comes from us abiding in him. 
knowing him by experience. Uh, John said this in one of his epistles. He said, uh, love is born of God, and the only ones that can love selflessly like Christ's love are those who are born of God and know God. We're born of God, but we also need to know God. Our love increases as we know God, and that motivates us to continue to serve him. So that's the, the idea of the abiding cycle in our church. It's, it's, it's not, it, out of, out of the, we've pulled out of Scripture exactly what it says about abiding. So what about Peter? Peter was, was a guy who sometimes was obedient to God, uh, sometimes was not. Even though he, he, was, he walked with Jesus for those three years, he was part of his inner group of 12 uh, he experienced all these things with Jesus. There were times when he was obedient and times when he was not. And so we're going to take at least one story out of Peter's life, and that is his call. And I want us to evaluate it based on what Jesus teaches about abiding. Now, Peter didn't understand abiding. Uh, he didn't really understand it even after Jesus taught it. Uh, most of the disciples didn't understand it until long after Jesus was gone and the Holy Spirit came and started working in them. Now, Peter understood it on the day of Pentecost. Uh, to some degree, because he had a great experience with, with the Holy Spirit that day and Jesus empowering him and him obeying. Uh, but Peter was, was a, just like us, and that's what I love about Peter. He, was, he had his failures as well as his successes. But the truths that we're going to pull out today about abiding from Peter's life I think are so important for us to understand. Some of these truths that we see clearly in Peter's experience when he comes to Christ our experiences are, are going to apply immediately to some of the things that you're facing today. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses three, uh, 1 to 11, and we'll be there for the, at least the next two Sundays. <clears throat> so here we go, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's read this story, and then we'll take some of it apart today. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of the Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he, said, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets uh, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Great story of abiding. They did what Jesus, uh, Peter did what Jesus said. Jesus did Jesus' exclusive activity. And Peter came to know Jesus in such a way that it changed the rest of his life. 
this was the beginning in Peter's life. One experience with Jesus that transformed his whole perspective about who Jesus was. Now, what I want to do is I want to start uh, at the beginning of the story and break it down into two parts. Today, I just want to talk about the beginning. What happened in Peter's life that made him susceptible or open to or ready for a God-exclusive experience in his life? And I want you to, to think about your life in these ways today. If you're not experiencing God-exclusive activity right now in, in certain aspects of your life, if you're not seeing God moving and working in your life, you're not seeing and coming to know God through experiences that you're having that you know it's him doing stuff and working in your life, then pay careful attention because I think for most of us, the second half of this story that we'll cover next week will be easier for us to connect to than the first half. I'm as frustrated as some of you are about certain areas of my life, about how it is that I can struggle with certain things and God seems to not come through. I'm as frustrated as some of you are about, about uh, at times, about not hearing from God soon enough or, or what seems to be not hearing from God at all. And I'm asking God, and I want to do what God leads me to do. And, and so the, the principles that, that we can apply through Peter's story here, Scripture lays it out clearly for us, some great aspects to think about today. The first thing in Peter's life that I think we need to recognize is that Peter had already been introduced to Jesus. That's significant to me. He had already been introduced to Jesus, but he wasn't abiding in him. Peter had already had an encounter with Jesus. How do we know this? And and he wasn't abiding in him. Okay? So so how do we know, first of all, that Peter wasn't abiding? Uh, Well, number one is because he had already met Jesus, and he he had apparently decided not to follow him. Peter is washing his nets, and Jesus is right there teaching the crowd was pressing in there were people coming after jesus to hear every word he had to say and peter's not a part of the group peter's still fishing uh john chapter 1 verses 40 to 42 is where we where jesus where peter has his first encounter with jesus this is where he was introduced to jesus says one of the two who had heard john speak and followed jesus was andrew simon peter's brother And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So he had already, Peter had already had an encounter with Jesus. But Peter needed a change of heart. He had not truly seen the truth about who Jesus was. Everybody get that? He, he had met Jesus, but he had not truly seen the truth about who Jesus was. The incredible, life-altering characteristics of Jesus had not yet grabbed Peter. His heart was still cold. And in the meantime, he was filling his life, still filling his life with routine He was still filling his life with daily activities. He was busy, working. So he met Jesus, and yet his heart, he had not seen enough about Jesus. He had not seen it and experienced it for himself, that his heart was warm to the point that he was pursuing Christ. That he was really going after Christ. And I think that's step one for us. 
Uh, there's, you know, I'm looking around the room. As far as I know, everybody in this room has met Christ. We met him. We have, we've understood that he's the Messiah. He has made a claim on our life like he did Peter. You are now rock. All right? Changing your name. No longer Simon. You're a rock now. Uh, he changes Peter's name. I mean, he has made his claim on Peter's life. And yet Peter is still going through the routines of life. He's still fishing. He's still doing his daily duties. He's busy working. He's gaining, uh, worried about providing for his family, taking care of, of daily needs. Still in the routine of his life. It's obvious that something grabbed the crowd that had not yet grabbed Peter. And so Peter's not abiding. We know he's not abiding because he's not following. And, and abiding means that you are following Christ. You are after Christ. You are pursuing Christ. And Peter had chosen to wash his nets, which I can't imagine even washing my nets if anything else is going on, right? It's hard enough to get me to work. Uh, you know, that might be bad for me. But like on Saturday yesterday, I just vegged out in front of the TV and watched a whole afternoon full of TV, of football games, one after the other. That may be good or bad, but I'm just saying, man, if, if there's work to be done and it's, you know, and, and there's another option, any other option, I'm on it, right? I'm probably like most of you. I want to do something besides work. And here's Peter. He has the best option of an alternative activity is Jesus teaching the the, the Son of God, the only explanation for that can be is that Peter had not yet allowed his heart to be grabbed by the person of Christ. And we're going to talk about that in a minute because what does Christ do whenever our hearts are not ready? We need to know that. I'm not preaching this today for us to feel guilty about washing our nets while Jesus is pressing, has a crowd of people pressing him into, running into us, getting in our way while we're doing our work. All right? And, you, you know, this church is full of people who are pursuing Christ. I mean, really going after Christ. And I know sometimes some of you must feel like, man, I'm just such a slug. You know, what's God going to do because I'm not feeling it? There's, there, is a, there is a response from Jesus to that in this story. You need to know that. Wherever you are, if you're not feeling it right now, there's a response that Jesus has to Peter who has not yet seen the beauty of who he is. And, and Jesus is going to take care of that. And he will take care of it in your life. If you're not feeling it right now, and you're, you'd rather do routine things and do work than come in contact with him and get to know him and see him and experience him, Peter did too. And he had already met him. All right? It's just something to remember. Also, we know that, that Peter uh, was not abiding even though he had met Christ, because he chose to do his work rather than hear the word of God. There's no question the word literally, physically was there. Jesus is the word, but also he was speaking, the Bible says, the word of God to those that were gathered. The crowd that was pressing in, it says that they pressed into him to hear the word of God. So you got this crowd of people pressing in to hear what God wants to say to them, and Peter is washing his nets. Here's one of the verses that support this idea about abiding and how it's tied to the words of God. Everybody still with me? All right. 
is found in John chapter 15, verses 7 through 10. Right after he gives us the abiding passages that I just quoted a few minutes ago. If anyone is, I'm the vine, you're, you're the branches. If anyone abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Then he says what abiding is. He defines it for us. Here it is. Someone's abiding. This is what he says. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. How do I do that? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Peter had not yet come to realize the life-changing power that existed in the commandments of Jesus. He, he hadn't come to realize that when, if Jesus would give a command, whatever that command is, that if he could understand what the word of God was saying and, could, and would just simply apply that to his life, that there was incredible God-exclusive power that would change his life and accomplish things that he could never accomplish on his own. Everybody get that? Peter hadn't come to the realization of how significant the words of of God would be for his life, of how significant they are for moment-by-moment decisions that he's making in life. He was treating them like any other uh, person might be. He wasn't hungry for the teachings of, of the word of God. He wasn't hungry for the teachings of John the Baptist whenever John the Baptist was teaching yeah, he wasn't there. Andrew was one of the two that was with Jesus. I mean, with John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist said, that's the Lamb of God who's taking away the sins of the world, then Andrew had to go and tell his brother Peter because Peter was busy doing stuff. He wasn't abiding in the words of God. Even the words of John the Baptist that he was giving of God, Peter wasn't there. Peter was not abiding in the words of God. He wasn't hungry for the word that God would speak to him. My question is this, are you hungry for the commands of Jesus? If not, something needs to happen that's going to change that. And like I am I am right where you are in the sense that if you're not hungry for the word of God, I have I have spent most of my life and ministry, everybody with me? I served the Lord teaching others. Most of my life in ministry, I, I spent with no hunger for the word of God. No desire to know what the commandments of God were for my, for my day. Well, God, well, how do you want me to, to live in this life? How do you want me to handle this circumstance? You know, I, I'm not concerned about that. I wasn't concerned about that. I wasn't pursuing God. I didn't even know that God would speak to my life, that he would speak truth into the circumstances that I was dealing with in, in any given day. That God would, would, would deal with me through his word and help me to understand what he's doing and what his desires are for me. And so I know some of you are right there. I know some of you don't have a hunger for the word of God. And, I don't, and by this word, I'm not just talking about the written word. I'm talking about what the spirit speaks also that's never contradicted by the word of God, the written word. Only in concert with what the word says. But I'm talking about the Holy Spirit's words to us. Jesus was the word. The things that he was speaking to the disciples were consistent with what the, the, the word, the written word said in his day. 
He was the fulfillment of that. He completed it. And the Holy Spirit is God speaking to us the same thing that God spoke to those who were inspired to write the written word. He speaks to us all the, all, all the time. But the Holy Spirit lives in us to help make sense of the word of God for our everyday lives. How do we make decisions in everyday life? What principle from the word do we apply in this situation? And we're going to see that in Peter's life. There's a very specific situation that Jesus is going to come and speak to, and he's going to accomplish something in Peter's life. But Peter has, at this point, no hunger for the word of God. He's not abiding. He met Christ, and he's not abiding. And that may be where you are. As a church, we don't want to be there. We don't want to stay there. We understand that we're all going to have moments when we're not abiding. But I just want to encourage you. If you're not abiding today, be honest with yourself. If you're not really going after Christ because you don't have a, a love on the inside really for him. Because you really don't know him well enough to really pursue him. Maybe you have head knowledge, plenty of head knowledge, but your heart's not after God. It's really not. Be honest with yourself. Don't pretend like it is. That's counterproductive. It's counterproductive for you to act like everything's okay when it's not. Don't try to look spiritual. You need a visit from God. And so if that's you today, good news. All right, here we are. Good news. Inside joke. Thumbs up. We got good news. All right, what did Jesus do? When he found out that Peter, when he knew that Peter, by all evidence, that Peter was not hungry for him, not hungry enough to follow him, that Peter was not hungry for his word, that Peter didn't, wasn't desiring that above fishing and daily routine, what, did, what does Jesus do? This is so significant, church, because listen, some of you are in that condition today, and here's what the devil is telling you. You are sorry. You're the, you're the most pitiful Christian there ever was. You will never be successful at pursuing God. You're never going to want to. You're never going to have a heart for God. And Jesus is not the one saying that. He's fixing to call one that's not pursuing him to be one of 12 people that would spend three years with him every moment of every day. Everybody get that? Let that sink in your heart. That's a lie from the enemy when he tells you that God has rejected you and will reject you if you don't have a heart for him and you don't have a heart for his word. Instead, he's about to step into this moment and change everything for Peter. And he wants to step into your life also and change everything for you. So what do we need to recognize? How did Jesus change Peter? And what can we take out of this story for ourselves? Three things. Number one, the Bible says Jesus was standing by. Look at it in verse 1. When the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of the Gennesaret. I love that standing by. It just kind of grabbed me. Uh, and every time I read this, it grabs me. But Jesus is standing by. You know, when we use that term and we think about it, it's very, it's very applicable here. He's there. He is present. Peter is not following. He's not pursuing. He's not listening to the word 
Oh, he might be, as Jesus is getting closer, he might be washing his nets and kind of grabbing something he says. But he's not after it. He's not hungry for it. But, but here's what's true. Jesus is, is there. That means everything, every word that Peter needs for his life is right there. Every power that Peter needs for, for whatever he needs in life is right there. Successful fishing is right there standing by. All the resources that Peter needs to take care of himself and his family is right there standing by. Did we realize that? This past week, a lot of the life groups have been dealing with and talking about last Sunday's message about the position of our money and, and our, where do we find our security? I think the revelation has come for some of you this week that Jesus is standing by. The one who created the world and owns all the resources that this world has is standing by. The one who can speak to you in a way that you can understand is standing by. The one who loves you enough that he, he doesn't call you servants anymore. He calls you friends because he tells you what he wants you to do. That's why he's standing by. The source of eternal information, timeless information, from the one who knows already what your future is going to hold. From the one who already knows you inside and out and knows what's coming up is standing by. Y'all getting that? I'm going to start preaching here in a minute. Boy, that's feeling good. He's standing by, man. That just grabs me right there. We need to recognize that God is in us. He's standing by all the possibilities of what God can do and God can, how God can lead, all the right answers about life and all the resources to carry out life are, is living in us. All right? So just know that. If you're dead right now, you're not feeling it, you're not hungry for God, it doesn't change the fact that he's standing by. All right? Second thing. I think if you're going to have a change in your heart, you need to fish all night. That hit me. This is a new thought for me. I think you need to fish all night. Uh, some of you are still trying to still think that you're going to find life and happiness and contentment and joy in pursuing other things. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 16 got it. He said, uh, cursed are those who pursue other gods. He says, as for me, I set the Lord before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Eternal pleasures are at his right hand. Whatever it is you're seeking in life, wherever you think you're going to find joy, happiness, contentment, if it's outside of pursuing Christ, you need to recognize that. So fish. Go fish. Keep on fishing. Look, if you've got to try something else, try it. Don't say the pastor said I need to try some illegal drugs don't I'm not saying you need to do something illegal but I am saying you know what I'm saying you're pursuing stuff and and there's stuff that you're pursuing right now that you think is really going to bring joy in your life so go after it you're going to get burned and it's going to hurt but you know uh, God told Samuel to tell Saul uh, to tell the people the same thing when they didn't want to be in relationship with God but they wanted to have a king like everybody else he said just tell them this is what it's going to be like and I'm telling you, because I'm experiencing it now in some areas, and I have experienced it in more areas in my life, 
that there's no joy or contentment at the end of money, at the end of friends, at the end of status, at the end of that dream, that American dream that you've got. There's no joy. There's no contentment at the end of it. A position, there's no joy there. Education, no joy. You were not created to have joy in those things. And there's always going to be that emptiness, that vacuum in your life that will never be filled with anything other than not just Jesus knowing him, because you got that, pursuing him. And so fish. Go finish fishing. You know, look, if if you tell me you got sin in your life, you know I'm not the kind of sin to say, man, you need to get that sin out of your life. I'd be more prone to tell you, go get it done. Get finished with it. You know, I mean, it's going to hurt you. But until you get to the end of that sin, you're never going to come after Christ. Peter was not at the end of himself. And so God gave him an experience of fishing all night and catching nothing. Pursuing what he's pursued all his life. Pursuing what obviously in this story was the one thing that was stopping him from encountering God. And getting and coming to know him and getting hungry for him. He pursued everything else but that. And so quit fishing and go fish. And God set him up for this by letting him fish all night long and catching nothing. And some of you have already been set up. I love this, that Jesus, that Jesus was active and moving in Peter's life before Peter ever came had this encounter with him. God was setting him up, and God is setting some of you up. He's setting some of you up because you've been pursuing, 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 trying to make something of yourself, trying to be somebody, trying to earn something, trying to find that contentment and joy in your life through whatever it is that you're pursuing outside of this hunger for God. And God's trying to draw you in. He's trying to draw you in to pursue him, to take the time to leave your nets and go get in the word, to, to, to leave your nets and go experience Christ in your life. Abide in him. And you're going to find the contentment and joy that you need and, and, and desire. The thing that you're looking for, you'll find it. So fish all night. Realize that Jesus is standing by. And he's already set you up by allowing you to fish all night. And I think Jesus kind of meandered the crowd toward Peter. I really do. I think he kind of just led him this way. He saw Peter down there. He's preaching, teaching, kind of, you know, he's multitasking. It wasn't by accident that Jesus ends up, oh, Peter, you're there. No, I think he was intentional. He went to Peter, and he goes to Peter because ultimately he steps onto Peter's boat and then tells Peter, I'm on your boat. Let's go. All right? And that's that's point number three. Let Jesus onto your boat. Let him onto your boat. You can't stop him from getting on your boat. He's coming. But embrace the fact that he's on your boat. When he comes into your boat, go with him. Do what he tells you to do. He steps into Peter's boat because he was going to do some, he wanted to push away from the crowd so he could preach without, you know, without getting wet and having to preach with his head in the water. And they just kept pursuing him. So he steps onto Peter's boat and asks Peter to push away. And because he's on Peter's boat now, he's in Peter's world. He's, he's in Peter's life. He's, he's, he's on Peter's resources. He's all up in Peter's grill. Right? Here he is. And because he is, man, all the potential now 
for Peter to have this encounter with Jesus, this life-changing experience, to see the truth about who Jesus is and to have his heart transformed so that now he's going to hunger after God and pursue God and hunger for his word. All that potential is about to happen, but you've got to let him on your boat. When he gets on your boat, he gets up in your resource and starts messing with it. Don't, don't, don't reject what he's doing. Some of you this last week have had some financial difficulties. That's Jesus getting up in your boat. Right? He's getting in your boat. And he's saying, okay, am I going to have it this time? Or are you going to have it? He gets up in your resources. He's gotten up in some of your time this past week. And he's going to always be trying to get more of your time. It's the best resource you have is your time. That's the resource that Jesus wants. He wants time. Ultimately, that's what he's going to get out of Peter. And that's what's going to transform Peter's life. And, and look, just don't listen to the enemy. The enemy kills us two ways. Number one is he tries to tell us that we're pitiful because we don't spend time with Jesus. And then when we do spend time with Jesus, he thinks he tries to make it all about the fact that we did something. Instead of the fact that Jesus is on the boat. Right? And so, man, I just want to encourage you guys that Jesus is initiating contact here. He's not coming to Peter and saying, Peter, you're sorry, man. Can't you see I've been preaching up here with all these people? And here you are washing your nets, and all you've been doing is fishing. It's all you care about is all this stuff, and you don't care about me. And so you go on and keep fishing. I'm going to go preach to these people. No, he, said, he sees Peter, and he says, he had already called him a rock. He knew who he was. He already saw Peter's future. He knew where Peter was going to end up. He knew that Peter was going to preach at Pentecost, and 3,000 souls, uh, hearts would be cut and transformed, and the church would come to life, and that Peter would be the man. But I guarantee you, Satan was whispering in Peter's ear, you're worthless, you're sorry, you're pitiful. Andrew's crazy about this guy. Whatever. Maybe not, but he didn't pursue him. And Jesus steps into his boat. Embrace your weakness. How many times have I said that? The Bible talks about the fact when God starts looking for somebody to use, he looks for someone weak. Embrace that. Okay? It's a good starting place. And then, then become strong in him. Not strong, be strong in the Lord, not in your own power. And the way to become strong in the Lord is let him have his way. Just, just ask God today. Or acknowledge the fact that Jesus is stepping into your life. He has. He's in your life. And today, just embrace the fact that through today's message, that regardless of where you are, if you're not hungering after him, he is stepping into your boat today. He wants that message for you today. This is something God wants us to understand. If we're ever going to abide in him, we need, to, we need to start where we are and realize that Jesus is standing by. We need to finish whatever we're going to do that we're doing to try and fill our lives with joy and contentment, to try and take care of ourselves or be good enough, whatever your, your goal is. We need to be done with that completely. Peter's never done with that completely. He gets close at the end of his life. But we need to be done with it long enough that we can start finding out who Christ is. And then we need to let him or recognize that he's in our boat. He's there. He's come to you. He's stepped in. And so respond to him. When, when Satan starts telling you that God's rejecting you or that God hates you or God's tired of you or God's put out with you, remind him this week. Just say, no, he's in my boat. He's in my boat, and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And, 
And you're fixing to see something that only God can do. He's fixing to show you that you're wrong. We need to do that this week, right? Let's, let's, let's realize that God is in our boat. And let's embrace that. Embrace all the possibilities of that. All right, let's pray. Father, help us this week to, to get this truth. Lord, uh, thank you for Peter. Thank you that he was a, a screw-up and weak and pitiful because that's who we are in our flesh and in our, in our own power. Lord, we know you. We've been introduced to you. We have had moments of, uh, where we've experienced your glory and seen you work. But a lot of us have not yet decided to follow you, really follow you, to go after you. Our hearts have not been transformed, and we need that. And some of us have no, no uh, hunger for your word. We don't want to feast on your word. We don't want to reach out to get uh, your commandments for our life. God, we need you to, to help us with that. I know that you're looking down today. This is your word for our body right now and so I know you're looking down and you're seeing the hearts of all of, of us who are praying right now and Lord I, I just pray that you would grab hearts God you're in our boat we see you we feel you we sense that we know this word is you speaking from the in, speaking and it's echoing through the rafters of our boat each one of us individually and in this church God we know that, that, that your voice is echoing in this church. But Father, we're still struggling. And so I just pray that you'll finish your work in us. Give us a hunger for your commands. Give us a hunger for your person. Show us more of yourself. We realize, God, that you're standing by. This week, I pray you'll get all of us to the end of ourselves. That we realize that whatever we're pursuing that's outside of of you is the very thing that's robbing us of life. Father, get up all get all up in our boats this week. Show yourself to us. Give us resolve to move with you and show us that you're active and working in our hearts this week.